welcome to episode 11 of the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello, everybody. And we've got a really exciting episode for you today. We're joined by the Icelandic musician Sigurbode. Hey, how are you going? We're good. How are you? I'm all right. Things are pretty similar here in, in Iceland as in Europe with all the things going on. <laughs> Yeah, is it affecting you much? Are you kind of just stuck in it at the moment, can't go out? Well, I mean, I'm not sick, but there's nothing going on, so I'm just hanging out at home. Everything is kind of closed and quarantined, which, honestly, I'm kind of enjoying. <laughs> <laughs> have Have all the bars closed down, or are they still open, but just nobody's yeah, I, going? I, yeah, everything's closed. I bet that's, that's strange for... For Iceland, I know when we were there, it was such a busy place. When we were in Reykjavik, it was a really busy place. All the bars were really busy. The restaurants were full. Yeah, uh, everything. Everyone's taking a hit. It's yeah, it's tough for for most people and you know uh, business owners and all that. It's it's getting kind of ridiculous for everyone. Yeah, this this stuff is hitting people hard. And so, will the, um, uh, does the government have any like plans for, you know, some kind of aid package or or you know some some money to help out with that? Uh, well, uh, if if you are out of like if they tell you to be home for work, the government will pay as if you were at work. Mm, so you're okay. you're like. Your work doesn't have to pay you. The government covers it. So that's okay. that's pretty neat, you know. That's not too bad. Because I know in the UK, I think we get statutory sick, statutory sick pay. And I think that's only like £70, £75 a week. So if they're covering, you know, your full wage, that's, that's pretty good. I don't know if it's the full wage because I'm not in that situation. But it, they're definitely helping people out a lot. Yeah, yeah. I see, I'm seeing the same thing in in Denmark. Um, the the government there is pretty good at uh, at uh, helping helping out. Um, you know the industries that are hit hard, right? That you know primarily like hotels, food uh, industries, and so on. Restaurants, cafes, bars, clubs, all that. Uh, here in the U.S., on the other hand, it looks a, a little different. <laughs> People are stockpiling guns and toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. What's what's that about? I mean, I, I saw the gu- has gun sales gone gone up through the roof, man. That <laughs> seems seems absolutely insane. So you're teaching from home now, Matthias? Yeah, all gone all gone digital. Yeah, we're going fully online. Um, and yesterday. Uh, campus also got a message that uh, all the students in the residence halls have to or should go home uh, to uh, to the permanent homes. Um, there are of course some who who don't necessarily have that opportunity for for different reasons. Um, so yeah, we're we're seeing a you know pretty much just a complete shutdown of 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 CU. Um, and yeah, Denver um, has actually also closed down bars and, and cafes and, and restaurants and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a completely unprecedented time for me. I've never seen anything like this. And my, my biggest concern, obviously, there's, there's the horror of, of people dying. But it's also just the, the impact on small businesses. 
obviously being a small business owner myself, it, it's it's scary. But I mean, there's going to be so many, especially in the hospitality industry, of people who who just you know they're not getting pubs and restaurants who, who people aren't going to visit, and it's going to be a. It, if it is up to some people are saying like 12 weeks, if it does go that, that length, it's, it's terrifying really. Yeah. And, and I can imagine the the hit that the tourist industry is taking. Like think about Iceland, for instance, so much of the economy rides on tourism, right? It's, it's gotta have a huge impact. Yeah. Uh, I, I live downtown and it's, it's a ghost town right now. There's, there's usually like people are shoulder to shoulder every day. There's so many people, but now there's there's no one. There's nothing going on. It's a little yeah. like kind of like zombie apocalypse kind of feeling to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like The Walking Dead, but just a little more boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about have people been stockpiling toilet paper the same in Iceland as they have seemingly everywhere else? Mm, no, I, not that I know of. I don't think it's too serious. I mean, I was in the grocery store this morning and it was all, you know, fine. So I think people are not as panicky because, well, they're not as a big of a nation anyway. Yeah, I mean, over here, I, I went to the supermarket yesterday for the first time in a, in a while, and I couldn't believe the, the, the how desolate it was. I just wasn't expecting it. There was, you know, the, the kind of main provisions, your milk, bread, potatoes, pasta was just completely gone. There was nothing left. And it was it was strange to see, especially if, if if they can't keep filling that up, then you can see how people, that's going to start panicking people when they do see that it's empty. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually the the, the worst thing about this, like this uh, self-induced panic that's coming along with the uh, people just like stockpiling all kinds of goods that they don't really need to. I mean, that this is happening in every country where we're seeing this all over Europe. And like in Denmark, they keep saying, the, the stores keep saying, we have enough groceries. You, you don't have to stockpile. It's, it's all right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just weird, man. Yeah, I mean, my one criticism of, I would think of the British government with the handling of it, I think they just need to be a little bit stricter. And I think if you say, okay, you probably shouldn't go outside or you maybe don't need to do this, I think people in nature will just think, can think, oh, well, it's not that bad, we'll just carry on as normal. I think if they said, no, look, you cannot go outside and just were a little bit more direct with it, it, people may listen more rather than kind of just carry on doing what they what they want to do. Hopefully. You know, on, on a plus side of things here, so what I've seen so far here in the US, when, like we were out, my wife and I taking a walk with the dog yesterday and... Uh, you know, I saw so many people outside enjoying themselves in a, in a much more different way than than usual. <laughs> like, it kind of felt more like in Denmark when, you know, the weather is nice and people are out and, and so on. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things about American culture that I that I really like. But, um, but you know, one, one aspect that's a little, you know, weird is that Americans seem to be very competitive even when they're social. Like yeah, there's like this weird competitiveness to to just socializing, and it seemed like that that's not really what's on people's minds anymore. So I hope actually a good thing that comes out of this is that uh, people are enjoying social life with one another in, in a, a little more nowadays. I'm sure it'll only be temporary. <laughs> I guess maybe. Yeah. <laughs> 
So let's should we get on to asking Seagull Buddy some some questions? And uh, I'm sure a lot of people want to hear about kind of what you do, especially the musical side of things. I think that will be really interesting for people to get insight into. So I know Mateus, you wanted to to start off. Yeah, yeah. No, so uh, I mean, Seagull Buddy, I'm I'm so interested in in like just the way that you use you know the old literature the saga literature the nordic mythology in in your like creative processes so like if you want to tell us something about that i would love to hear it uh i don't i don't know how much about to explain the creative po- process but i do draw a lot of inspiration from my own culture uh because it's it's easy <laughs> uh our language has barely changed for a thousand years. Uh, I can I can read the Eddas and all the old Icelandic and even Old Norse with little to no problem. There are some words that are just kind of uh, like Old Norse, especially, is kind of spelled like uh, a ch- child is learning how to spell compared to modern Icelandic. So there's a lot of like spelling errors per se, but for them it was you know normal. Uh, otherwise, it's it's very easy and. There is, there's plenty of material, though, you know, there could be more, of course. There's so much lost. So I, I try to draw inspiration from the texts themselves. And uh, I am, you know, uh, a pagan, a heathen. And I do, I do uh, have a spiritual side. And I type, try to channel that as well into the music. So uh, I feel very what's the word, like vulnerable when I'm making making music because I'm putting myself, like literally putting myself into the music. Uh, but I guess a lot of musicians could say that it's not only Icelandic, Old Norse kind of thing. But yeah. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. So could you t- speak a little more to the, the spiritual side of things? Yeah, I think that's that's actually... You know, if you ask me, a, a really important aspect in in the way that you get creative with these things. Um, I, I'm also asking because if if uh, if it isn't clear to anybody yet, then I am also a, a pagan myself. So, <laughs> so yeah, I would love to hear about that. Yeah. So the way I p- approach uh, spirituality is through also through, and uh, let me let me emphasize: this is my approach. This is not the way it should be done or has to be done or whatever because some people may get upset like oh you're doing it wrong <laughs> uh i approach it from the animist side where uh there's you know there's energies all around us you can channel them you can feel them but these energies themselves you know like the energy you feel from music being in nature hot cold all of these they're different kinds of energies and they are not conscious they're not doing things on purpose so they don't they're not really gods per se but uh also true has uh like the people have made up characters for these energies like the the force of nature becomes uh, well the the fertility of nature becomes freyr the thunder and storm is thor the trees are connected to heimdall and so on so people instead of just yeah i believe in in nature that's you know so they made up these characters and stories to connect with their spiritual side, and that's my approach to it. So, uh, in a sense, I would say like 
I don't believe in the gods, but I believe in their energies or spiritual side, sort of. So, yeah. So does it, does that mean then when you know when you uh, uh, go out in the Icelandic nature, um, is that where you uh, gain a lot of inspiration from uh, to create your music and like tie it in with uh, with the myths and stories? Oh, definitely. Uh, you can still feel, you know, a lot of emotions and strong feelings, uh, being being this this kind of approach to spiritual things and i do like i do meditate and all, uh, lots of stuff and being in nature is one of the strongest things you can do to approach this because it, at its core also through is nature worship so uh, it's kind of funny to me because in in iceland there are barely any trees and uh, most uh, small forests are small and man-made they Trees don't really grow in Iceland. They're tiny and small and scraggly. Uh, and so people often like find it weird that I'm un- kind of uncomfortable in forests because they are such new territory to me. But I really enjoy being in the mountains because that's that's home. Uh, yeah, it's it's like you know going into a stranger's house without being invited. And uh, when I go in deep into a forest, it's but I do like it. I do like going into forest, but it's it's different. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. I, uh, I lived uh, several years of my childhood in Greenland. And so I, when I uh, when I came to Denmark, I, I was freaked out by the by all the, you know, forest and uh, just like bushes and weeds and stuff around. <laughs> I remember my first experience with an insect that wasn't either a fly or a, or a spider it was like i, I freaked out completely <laughs> i'd never seen that thing before i was i thought it was gonna kill me yeah yeah i was in i was uh with my friends i was in the, the u.s we were camping and i met a snake and i froze and i'm like what the hell do i do i've never even met a snake or seen one in my in real life and they were laughing at me because it was just a, a common garden snake. Like, I don't know. There are no snakes in Iceland. I don't know what to do. It's weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> No, it's true. I mean, we don't have any, any snakes in England. I think if, if I was out walking and one slithered across the path, I would be a little bit taken back. I wouldn't have, a, wouldn't have a clue how to handle it. And I wouldn't certainly wouldn't know if it was poisonous or not. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do I do? Do I walk backwards? Do I kick it? Like, what? <laughs> I don't know how to handle the situation. <laughs> <laughs> I think the 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 best the best thing is always to just uh, steer clear of them. Um, I I can't I, I can't count how many uh, rattlesnakes I've actually accidentally run over here in Colorado at this point. <laughs> yeah, that, like in the summertime, they they will sometimes rest on the roads because you know it's nice and warm there. There's one time in the in the desert in the, in New Mexico. Um, uh, we were driving in these like weird back roads where they weren't really roads and at some point we kind of got stuck in in what you know was an old riverbed or something like that and just as i was about to like go out and see the damage like what 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 is how how can we get out of this i real i just saw spotted in the in the rearview mirror um the side mirror that that there was like a big fat rattlesnake just right next to the car <laughs> that was that was kind of creepy <laughs> oh yeah 
Definitely need to avoid that. Uh, just to take it back a second, because I mean, this this whole kind of spirituality way, and the way you look at it is completely foreign to me. And it's something that I've never really come across before. So the way that you, with it, with, it, with um, as, is it Asatru? Yeah. How do I pronounce Asatru. Asatru. Is that the same way that the Vikings would have looked at the gods? Or is this kind of like a more modern a more modern interpretation of the mythology? Uh, well, we, we really don't know how the Vikings, or I would say the Norse people, because most weren't Vikings at those times. Uh, we don't really know how they felt about the gods, but there is a lot of archaeology and research that points to, uh, at least in several locations, that they were quite literal in their beliefs, that they believed in the gods. Uh, this approach that I have is modern and kind of a reconstruction mixed with animism approach to also true. And like I said before, I know it's not any like correct way or anything, but this is what feels right to me and it's comfortable and it helps me carry on and feel connected to nature uh, and so on. Yeah. And I think, you know, as, as, as a scholar in, in this, <laughs> uh, I can I I can say that uh, well we have for instance place names scattered across Scandinavia um, where we have the combination of like a god's name with some kind of natural feature typically like uh, Odin's mountain or Odin's lake or something like that that's very common so it, it kind of looks like uh, people uh, back in the pre-Christian era in Scandinavia saw these gods as, as like living in that landscape around them. That's that's very very common. Not to mention the days um, of the week are all named after the god. Well, not all of them, but most of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so so it was encompassing and, and present in their lives all the time, right? And if you if you look at Scandinavian folklore, you can also see how so many different. Uh, you know, natural features have various kinds of uh, beings attached to them. The Huldur live in the uh, cliffs and the, the rocks, um, and you have the. If you go south to to Denmark, you have the uh, Etle people uh, that like these females that live in the uh, specific kind of trees and 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 such things, right? So they're they're everywhere. Um, and those, those that that old folk uh, folklore and those folk tales, they're definitely like a reminiscent of 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 that animist way of believing in the world. So yeah. So with the taking it back to the music, have you always been sort of musically minded? Has it always been something that you wanted to to go towards, or is kind of like what came first? Was you a musician and then you took on? the Icelandic sagas and, and wanted to portray it through music or was you kind of into, you know, very interested in the sagas and then the music came after? Uh, no, I started very young uh, learning music. Uh, I was 11 when I first bought my bass guitar. That's how I started out with bass guitar. And by by age 13, I was in a metal band and this, and I... And then I like when I went to the metal band, I wanted to learn guitar. And then from there, I wanted to learn drums. And then I wanted to learn. I've always had the thirst of learning more instruments. And, you know, when I was starting out, I was a teenager and I thought singing in Icelandic was dumb. You have to do it in English to to be cool. (laughs) 
And uh, I, yeah, I didn't really, not until I was like around 20 years old that I, that I started to get this new approach of, you know, discovering my own culture and heritage and, you know, expanding on that. Because there's uh, sadly not that much knowledge in Icelandic community about these things, nor is there any, not much uh, music about it. It's set maybe like in the metal community and, and black metal especially, they will take a lot from uh, the Norse mythology and use that in their lyrics. Otherwise, there's not not much going on because uh, Iceland is very Western. So there, you know, rap, hip hop, uh, all that stuff. That's very popular, which you know, which is totally fine. Uh, so I saw that saw the opportunity to well, not much opportunity, but I saw that there is something missing, and I wanted to do it. And well, yeah, I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a that's 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 a good point that you're making right there. You know, as as somebody who is Scandinavian and uh, you know live and work in the the U.S. and of course also you know teach things that have to do with like Vikings and Nordic mythology and all that stuff. I mean, I I, I talk with a lot of people who are interested in all of these things here, and sometimes I get the sense that you know people expect that if they you know, go to Iceland, they're, they're just going to walk into like this Viking heaven. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, this... Uh, <laughs> not at all. It's not really what it is, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably had that thought when I, when I first came over. And it's surprising the how little, I guess, there is outside of... I mean, obviously, you have the, the certain shops that capitalize on the north side of things. and And that culture is there, but it's not as much as I expected um, and I guess that's probably the same with, with Mo, when I went to Oslo that was the similar, I guess from an outsider you just kind of expect it to be everywhere and and it's not well I mean the, the business side, they, they definitely capitalize on the Viking thing, they got like, oh, drink Coca-Cola like a Viking, or ye, eat ye old Viking kebab, or you know, they just, they put Viking in front of fucking everything to get people to come, uh, <laughs> otherwise there's not much going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's like rest of Scandinavia too, actually sometimes I think, um, you know, for, for, for for all the the cool Vikingness of of Iceland and Norway, um, you know, if you go to Denmark and and Sweden, you would actually see more. <laughs> like, there, there there's more around. Where, like, there's like a reconstructed village over here. There's a little f- fortress over there. There's a museum for this and that and so on. Like, um, Denmark is such a small country, so you can basically tour it in a, a couple of days and see so much Viking stuff. Yeah. Uh, Iceland was more of a final destination for Vikings. They came here and and settled down because there's nothing to steal or do here. So (laughs) they were either fleeing or uh, were forced to come here. Like either either you leave Norway or we kill you kind of situation. So so Vikings weren't really a thing in Iceland that much. There was more just people farming and trying to survive this godforsaken rock. (laughs) <laughs> that's actually kind of what I tell my students too uh, when I uh, in the beginning of the semester when we uh, when I teach Vikings like I say you know 
picture picture Iceland as sort of like a, a cold Florida. Like this is this is where people from yeah. <laughs> from New York go to retire, you know, just the same way as <laughs> Norwegians go to Iceland to retire. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's um, it's it's a different thing. <laughs> Do just to go back to what you just said, uh, Sigurd, with you being Icelandic, does it bother you that kind of it gets posted on everything just to kind of like as a marketing ploy, or do you kind of just see that as a way that obviously is going to bring tourism to Iceland and, and help the economy. Like, what's your opinions on, on that? Uh, I I can't really be annoyed by it. Uh, I don't really think about it too much. I mean, it, it, of course people are going to use stuff like that to get business. I mean, that's just normal. If it wasn't Vikings, it would just be something else. Uh, I definitely feel it's like... I wish people would take more time to understand the culture, either like their own, uh, depend like doesn't have to be Iceland. Just like you don't have to be really into your culture or know everything about it, but to understand your own culture would be nice. And also, like when I visit other places, I I'm I'm like a little kid. I'm asking all the time, "What's this? What's it called? Why is it called that? How you do it? Blah blah blah." Because I'm very curious like that but that's just how i am so of course i can't tell people how they should be or what they should do but i do recommend you know exploring your own culture because why not you you have nothing but gain to do that so um can i ask you a question with this um uh so i I was just wondering uh, why do you think it's sort of like the viking age that is that is so important um in in iceland um why is why is it not maybe like the 13th century i mean it is in a, in a sense too but 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 you know the the literature that was written in the 13th century is sort of like talking about the viking age so why why do you think that has become like the important period for iceland well because uh like i mentioned uh, iceland was just a kind of farming community so like between the years 1100 and right after world war ii iceland fucking sucked it was cold everyone was miserable and poor and hungry there's nothing going on there's this like mild like ghost stories and yeah (laughs) honestly it wasn't that much going on in iceland (laughs) uh maybe it was due to that you know the age-old prank of naming Greenland Greenland and Iceland so everyone went there and and <laughs> did did fun stuff I don't know too much about Greenland but <laughs> so to capitalize on the Viking thing which I kind of I I, I do get a little cringy with the Viking thing every like to, to to call something Viking music it's like calling someone something like teacher music because all the members of the band are teachers like yeah that doesn't make any sense uh i i prefer to call things you know by because norse or nordic uh because well most people in the viking times in the viking era still weren't vikings it was only like very very few people who actually were vikings one thing i wanted to ask was how much you how much you learn about this in school and how much of this is just you taking your own personal time to to learn it, I mean, from an outside, I imagine that it would be th- 
through all through Icelandic school would be learning this kind of kind of stuff. But is that the case? Uh well, Iceland is Lutheran, so it's Christian, but not super Christian. And uh, they didn't really te- they they had like religious uh, classes like once a month, and they brushed over like Hinduism, Buddhism barely enough to give you anything but when we were doing uh what's it just learning you know how to read and write and copy from books and all that they would sometimes use the edit poems but they wouldn't really explain anything but it's like here's here's a story and it's about thought i guess but they wouldn't really explain the significance of what they were actually handing to us so i would say like barely nothing was taught in iceland they didn't touch upon any of the viking no, the the also true culture, but they would they would teach you about Viking culture and, and the Icelandic sagas and such. But when it comes to the Norse gods and all that, they pretty much stay away mostly. Well, that's interesting because you like say you would just assume that that was so, that would be such a big part of it. You would have thought that they would go into in depth the the history behind it and and explore all the different avenues, including the gods and and yeah, it's all of it to be honest. No, I mean, remember, like, they made us read Gilvakinning from Snorreta, which is, you know, which is a nice introduction to, to anything Norse mythology, because it kind of covers most bases. Uh, other than that, it was just, yeah, like, tidbits here and there. I think it may be, too, they were trying to avoid just religion altogether, except Christianity, of course, they teach you that. Uh, I think they don't do that anymore, though, because there was a lot of protests telling them to just leave religion out of school, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, but the Icelandic sagas were definitely uh, heavily explored during school. In De- in Denmark, it's quite interesting because uh, we we don't we don't really have um, you know comprehensive religion classes in in school. What we do have is Christianity classes. Yeah, we like, had that too. That's that's what they teach. <laughs> and but as far as I remember and also understand from current situation is that um, you know, Nordic mythology is like part of the Christianity classes normally. Like uh, it's taught in that context, and that's because you know in uh, I think there's still in in broadly in Denmark this uh, this idea that was promoted by Grundtvig. This uh, Danish minister, who's back in the nineteenth century, is is like one of the primary Scandinavians who are who are responsible for popularizing a lot of the mythology in Scandinavia, um, because he was like you know involved with the movement to teach people, like basically the peasantry, everybody, um, you know, in schools, um, and he thought to himself, well, in order to do that, we have to reach what he called their folk soul. Uh, and, and we can only do that by, by like speaking to that, which is like, you know, indigenous to Scandinavia. So that would be Nordic mythology, folklore and so those things. So that became part of, you know, uh, school in, 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 in Denmark, also Norway and, and Sweden, I believe, and, and also Iceland, um, to, and, and then, you know, Denmark is still there. You know, it's still like the idea that oh, Nordic mythology is sort of like the precursor to Christianity. Like it's like you know the, the this was some kind of like misunderstood Christianity or something like that. So so it's there. 
Yeah, I mean, in in the UK, we kind of we wouldn't touch on any any of that. We had a religious studies class, which would be they would look at, you know, I guess the major religions that are still sort of around today, so like Judaism, Islam, Christianity, and you would touch on all of them. Um, I mean, we'd have very, very, very little um, education on anything to do with sort of the Norse or the Vikings. You may touch on the Vikings a little bit in history class, but as it comes to like as a religious side of things, it's just not explored at all. And to be honest, the religious studies classes I remember, they was just kind of mess about lessons. Nobody really listened. Everybody kind of drew with during the books and and talked, and they weren't they weren't taken seriously. Yeah, I think think that's that's also the same in Denmark. That's a global issue. Yeah, actually, I was I was gonna ask something. Uh, so, um, Sigurd in uh, in Denmark, we have that uh, uh, comic called Valhalla. Uh, I know it's in Icelandic too, like Gorhamer. Uh Is that like is it popular in the same way as it is in in Denmark? I don't know. I know it's. I mean, it, you can buy it at any bookstore. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was a kid, I had the VHS tape of the movie. Uh, it was it was in Icelandic, and I watched it so much that the tape was ruined. My mom bought me another one. I watched it so much, and she had to buy me a third one because I just <laughs> watched it every day. I loved that movie. It's so so good. And I is. even watched it uh, last year just to get the no- nostalgia, and it's still just so great. Yeah, that that makes me wonder. Have you seen the the new the the new Ragnarok on Netflix? Now, have you seen that at any at all? Have you kind of had any feedback on it? I well, I watched the trailer and it seemed a little bit kind of Twilight meets Norse mythology ish. Uh, I'm hearing about this for the first time right now, so <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> oh, okay. How about you, Matthias? Have you have you seen any of it? Anybody? Yeah, spoke so to you I, about I it? watched the whole thing. Um, so it's a it's a Danish director, and uh, like in it, it takes place in Norway. It's a Norwegian cast. Um, the Swedes are probably involved too. They they're usually like <laughs> with these kinds <laughs> of things, right? Um, but yeah, so it, I I think actually it's um, I mean this is for uh, children, young adults, if you ask me. <laughs> um, it's it's okay. It's a it's a f- funny enough story. Um, it's it sort of casts like the 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 whole thing is like the the um, the gods and the Jötnar uh, are sort of battling over uh, or battling each other, uh, and it's cast as you know an environmental crisis. So the Jötnar uh, own the primary industries that are like polluting in this little. Norwegian town called Etta, and <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, and then like this, the the story is this uh, family that moves there, and um, one of them is called Makni, um, and he's he's like the main main character. He's a young geeky boy. Uh, he's very strong, and of course he's like Thor, and his his brother is like Loki, and. Uh, yeah, then, then there's like a standoff at the end, but it's like, if you're Scandinavian, you sort of like know this type of story. It's this type of like story for children or story for young adults where I, uh, yeah, so go go ahead. (laughs) 
Yeah. Like, I have no problem at all with, like, movie business and all that using uh, these characters to make their own stuff. Like, you know, the Marvel things and all that with, you know, adding space lasers and whatnot. I don't, I don't care. That's just, that's just great. <laughs> what I do, what it really, really burns my ass that these these movies they have like millions of dollars in production they all these actors have vocal coaches and everything and they can't even say bivrust they say bifrost <laughs> yeah. what the fuck just like come on and, and when like when when i saw like when thor was he was going to nidavellir and he was like let's go to nidavellir i'm like oh lord that's so bad come, like you guys are so you got so much money in this, and you can't say a word correctly. Like, like, like an attempt would be nice. You don't have to do it perfectly, but an attempt would be nice. I agree. Thank I you. agree. I mean, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're totally right. They, it's not like they don't have the access to resources. They can just call up somebody like me or, <laughs> you know, know, any of my colleagues here in the U.S. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> I'm sure they could... Uh... Spare a few thousand pounds to give you I think to, they should. to do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should too. Of course, I mean my my pronunciation will be with a Danish twang, but I, I hope that oh, is okay. I mean, that's, that's that's fine. Uh, there's like the emphasis in uh, it's on the R, Biv Rust. Yeah, not by Frost. Yes, it's the it's the the bisexual Frost Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's something that we in England or in the UK just don't don't possess the ability to like roll the R's the same same way that you guys do. I've I've tried and I find it absolutely impossible. I think it's so impressive when you when you say things and kind of the the R's just stand out and it, it just I guess is is that something that you just pick up naturally from a child because it's just part of the language, so you just automatically do it yeah it's i mean like i said you don't have to do it perfectly but you know at least give it a try or you know have someone teach you how to say it mostly correct not just this uh yeah okay okay if i if <laughs> it, i can it, it really bothers <laughs> it, it shouldn't bother me this much but it really bothers me <laughs> No, I get it. We all have our hang-ups, right? I mean, uh, but if I can just nerd out for a second, the Icelandic R is the original R. That's, uh, Daniel, that's how the English would have said it uh, a thousand years ago, um, and, and even less. The the way that we um, usually, like, the Danes, we have the problem with the rolling R as well, uh, because the Danes hate R's. We, we are tr- we're trying to, like, make them disappear when we speak. Um, so... Uh, so it's it's also it takes training for for us too and for a lot of Norwegians and, and Swedes if they want to learn Icelandic but um but yeah the origin of of that you know that R that uh, we have nowadays actually comes is Paris it comes from the upper upper class in Paris in the 16 and 1700s as far as I remember who basically thought it was more fine and and refined to 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 you know put the r in the back of the throat instead of in the front of the throat and <laughs> that's 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 the real reason for it <laughs> yeah i mean and and about between 100 and 200 years ago in iceland it it was considered very aristocratic and fine to to talk danish in icelandic uh, in iceland and uh, those were dark times <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I think I think it's all it's all about like kind of what's fashionable these days. Like, oh, you're rolling your R's. That's so cool, you know. Yeah, it all started with Braveheart, of course, right? When the Scots <laughs> they, yeah. they became popular with the rolling R's. <laughs> so to, to just get back onto the music side of things, obviously you've you've enjoyed working with some pretty big names, some some good some big bands. I mean, how have you found over, certainly it seems in the last couple of years, this that genre of music seems to have exploded almost, obviously with Wardruna coming on the scene, and it seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Are you, are you noticing that? Is that something that you're kind of enjoying from that from that explosion or, or what? Uh, yeah, I think it's great that people are exploring this and, you know, there's like 50,000 different musicians doing their own version of Völuspau and they're all you know I like that everyone is trying to approach this their own way uh some of them are kind of just you know kind of bandwagon things they they put a they put a drone and some drums and like oh yeah I'm Nordic like <laughs> but 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 I do like you know when when you can see there's some actual effort in the music and a lot of them you know are are putting some great stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, how much research do you do you have to do into each song of yours? I mean, I know I've been I've been lucky enough to see you perform, and it, for me, it's, it's kind of mesmerizing watching you 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 tell a story before and then you you sing the song. Now, are those songs, I know you you're obviously singing the the a certain poem or saga. Now, have you? How does that work with with kind of creating a song from that? Is do you kind of just look at it and then create the song based on what's there, or is there some original basis to how sort of the song goes, the melody, or is that all kind of your creation of fitting things around? Uh, I don't really have any one magic method. Sometimes I'll just be sitting with an instrument, you know, fiddling around, and like, oh, I like this, and then I spanked upon it. And then like okay, this is in, uh, you know, time signature four four, uh, which is just like one two three four one two three four, and like that that would correspond with the poem that fits in that. So let me check my books. Like oh, this would fit very nicely. And the theme like sometimes it just goes like that. Sometimes I sit like I need to write a song for this particular poem. It needs to be very melancholic, and emotional, or you know. So it it goes all around kind of when I'm working with other musicians they will send me maybe like 30 second clip or sometimes a full song or some mostly complete song and they tell me like can you help me work on this can you record some instruments and can you uh can you do lyrics and you know I ask what do you want for lyrics do you, what what's the theme like do you want Ragnarok or do you want something and uh, we work together that way. And so I usually either write the, the lyrics or compile from old texts something like snippet here, 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 and, and put that together into lyrics. And sometimes I'll do both. I'll, I'll write some lyrics and compile some into one. So, yeah, there's there's not really a, any, like, magic key method to writing music. So would, would the original sagas and poems have been sung or would they have been spoken is there any kind of evidence as to which way that would have uh, been there is 
evidence uh, that it was sung for for a number of reasons. One that it's it's easier to remember a song rather than a story because every time you tell a story, there's gonna be something different. But these these poems survived a long, long, long time, seemingly very unaltered. So people presumably would have sung them. Another thing that is interesting, this is put first by Terry Gunnell, uh, a professor uh, in the Hauskoli the here in, in Iceland, uh, the university in Iceland. Terry Gunnell is a very respected, also through, I don't know what his official title is, but many people may have heard of him, that there is, so you can't really translate the Eddas fully. You can translate them literally to get the meaning. You can translate them poet poetically and lose the meaning. But there's a third thing locked in the, the Icelandic language or the Old Norse. The sounds of the poem describe what you're hearing. So, for example, in uh, Thrimlur, the beginning, uh, one part is describing the wolf, Fenrir. And it goes... Fenris Ulver Frendi Hans Freigur Han of Glipni, Margur Hever Than Maltil Sans and Moder Sian of Slipni. You can hear the growls of the wolf in the poem. So they, the sounds, and uh, uh, in Völuspau, when they're describing the world, they're like, Vara Sandurne Sairne Svalarunni. There was no, there was sand and oceans, and you know, so the shh, you can hear that the sounds of the poem are describing the poem. And that, unfortunately, can't be translated. So, yeah, these they were definitely sung. There's also, um, so speaking of Terry Gunnell, he's uh, actually uh, one of my uh, former teachers, too. Um, so I've, I've had the pleasure of actually uh, learning from him and... Uh, and um, one of the other things that he's also uh, talked a lot about is, and, and written a whole book about actually, the origins of drama in Scandinavia, is that these these stories, we can see that the, the Eddie poems, they were used for, for like performance, for drama. And and that, of course, also, you know, gives more um, um, sort of credibility to the idea that they were, that they or parts of them were sung and so on. So, yeah, no, it's a... This, this, uh, these poems were made for performance, right? They were made for people to enjoy in, uh, by a scald, for instance, who's like reciting them, accompanied with some music. There's alliteration in, uh, in the, um, in the stanzas and, and so on. So, uh, yeah. And, um, like Verlospal, for instance, is one of the, uh, presumably the oldest poem that we have available, right? It's, um, Probably composed in the late 900s, um, early thousands. That people are still debating, <laughs> but that means then that it has lived for at least 200 years, maybe, maybe even longer, in um, in oral form before it was written down in in the literature that we na now have available. And as you say, yes, yeah, so that that's like the uh, singing and like alliteration and like putting it in meter is the way that you you know, retain things in oral form without having writing to accommodate it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's really interesting and something that I necessarily didn't think of before is that, like you say, because these, they're surviving for 200 years before they're written down, 
they are performance pieces. They do tell a story, and it's. I guess that that's why it's so important. The things that you do, Sigabody, I've kind of reconstructing these and telling them the way that they would have been told, and and trying to keep that that third layer there, and you know, and, and using that performance of in in your music. Um, now, is there many people that are doing it at the level that you're kind of doing it? It seems to me like you're going, you know, you're going back to the original sources. You're, you're really going as deep as possible to get these as close to what would have been an, a, an original piece as, as possible. Have you found that there's other people kind of going in depth as much or are you kind of a lone wolf on it? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, I haven't really been seeking people like that out, so I can't say if like. But I don't know anyone in Iceland who's doing this. I I'm fairly sure I am a white raven when it comes to that. But there are definitely like people who are you know playing from the old sagas and and such. Uh, but they like may they have a different approach. Uh, they may like do a full concert and maybe tell one story, whereas I usually tell a story for each each song, in order to so people aren't just listening to a foreign language. They know that there's a a significance and an actual historical significance to what I am performing, and that gives it more of a uh, what's it called texture for the brain to to lash onto like like holy shit this is what people we're talking about a thousand years ago. Yeah, it seems it seems to me that what you're doing is is as close a thing to to what would have been done a thousand years ago as we're probably going to find at the minute. It's it's something that's really it's really impressive, and it's it's I'm definitely appreciate appreciate the fact that that's what you do, and I know that when I have the joy of sort of listening to you perform, it's something that. Even though I don't understand what you're saying, um, it's it's mesmerizing. It, it kind of locks it locks you in, and you can't you can't look anywhere else. You don't want to look anywhere else. You you just kind of kind of. I'm not a very spiritual person, but I would say that it kind of grabs to you in that that spiritual way, and it just it talks to you on a on a different level. Uh, thank you. <laughs> that's, well that's that, that's what i'm going for anyway to to capture these moments of well just how i feel when i'm trying to you know and experience these these works of art because i feel like i'm only a medium uh, i do write like most of the the music is my own some i have borrowed from like uh, traditional folklore and icelandic and Faroese and so on. The most is written by myself, but the 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 texts are all from the past. So I'm kind of, you know, bringing the the present and the and the past together because obviously we have no idea how these were sung. So one one can only make their own. So that's something I was going to ask. When it comes to the actual music itself, is there any original texts that I guess obviously how we have written music now. Is there any form of that back then, or is that all completely lost? It's just a case of you have to try and do what what you can. 
Uh, well, when when Christianity came to Iceland, uh, it was like official in the year one thousand. Then we, they decided that Iceland should be Christianized. Uh, the church forbade any heathen and pagan singing. You should only sing in church and so on. So most of it, well, all of it was lost. But like this is what like people use this to lash out at the church. But Honestly, they were just doing what they thought was right. They were not doing this with evil intent. They were trying to save, you know, the the pagans that lived there. So, you, I mean, I don't think you should be upset with what pe people thought was best. Even though it wasn't the best thing to do, they still, they weren't trying to ruin anything, per se. Uh, another thing in that is also, I mean, it is, it is if nothing else, because of the church, uh that we have uh, so much of this material available to us too, right? I mean, it, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we should also keep that in mind. I just wanted to throw one one thing in about all of this. Um, the oldest uh, song that we have written down from uh, from Scandinavia is uh, is in a really cool manuscript. It's uh, the it's the manuscript called Codex Runicus, which is. Um, a full manuscript written in runes from the 1300s. Um, it contains mostly like boring things like the law of Scania, that's the southern part of Sweden, um, and like a list of Danish kings and stuff like that. But there's also uh, the little, uh, just a little um, ditty basically written down called Drömte mai in Dröm inet. I guess, is that I assume that that's something you've probably come across before, Sigurd. Is yeah. that? Uh, we do have some very, very old songs in Icelandic, uh, but they are uh, Christian in uh, in nature, but they're not like heavily Christian still. Uh, one is uh, very famous called "Heir Himna Smeder." There is a very, very famous video on YouTube where there's an Icelandic group singing it in a in a train station in Berlin. And it got it got like tens of millions of views or something. Uh, that's a that's I think that song is from eleventh century or maybe even tenth century. Uh, but it's basically just hear me who crafted the heavens, uh, something something I love you God. But the song itself is like the contents are not overly Christian still. Yeah, it's um I think um who it was called by. Tumason, right? Who uh, composed it? Yeah, late late eleven hundreds is when he's born. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't remember the name. Uh, so, <laughs> you, so let's just say that you you are you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I, I nerd these things, you know. <laughs> that's my that's my job. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, Sigurd, you did say that you would be willing to to sort. Of to say one of the sagas um are you still happy to do that yeah i uh, i'm not going to try and say the name of it because i will butcher it and it will sound terrible so i don't know if you want to introduce it and and just go out, go on with it yeah uh let let me get my uh storytelling voice on so now um, uh okay so uh odin he has a, uh, a lot of children, uh, like a lot, because he is the old father, not the son father. And uh, he, uh, 
of of his many children who are gods and heroes and uh, cool people. Uh, he also has, you know, human children. Like all of humanity, basically, comes from him one way or the other. And uh, one of them is called Friðleifur, uh, or peacemaker. And uh, Friðleifur is an exceptional man. He uh, he's very well liked in his tribe. He's chieftain. He he does well and like with hunting and and organizing. And uh, Odin sees that, and he is so proud of one of his sons that he gifts him a piece of land that he called Gotland, but in today's time is Denmark. So it was a terrible gift. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, he lives as king, and he has a son named Skjöldur, which means shield. And Skjöldur is also king, nothing particularly happens. And then Skjöldur has a son named Frodi, the wise one. Uh, Frode is also like his grandfather. He is an exceptional king. Uh, there is peace in Denmark, and everybody has plenty of food. There's no crime, and everybody's happy. Again, this is a story. It never happened. This is not what Denmark is like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, uh, Odin sees this as well, and he decides to give. Uh, throw the a gift. He gives he gives him two giant millstones, uh, you know, to crush grain or. But these these millstones are so huge that no one can push them. So, uh, throw just kinds of you know built a builds builds a house around them and like yo look what you know Odin gave me. <laughs> it's pretty cool, you know, and kind of just forgets about it. Uh, Many years later, Frode is traveling in Sweden, and he is at a party of the king of Sweden, and he sees that the king has two slaves named Fenja and Menja, and uh, they are trolls, and they're big and huge and strong, and Frode asks if he can purchase the trolls from the king, but the king says, no, you are such a great king that I will give them to you, you can take them home with you. Happily, Frode accepts and takes them back home, and he asks Fenja and Menja to push the stones, and therein finds out that the stones don't crush things, they make things. Very similar to the, the Finnish lore of Kalevala, the Sampo stones, or Sampa, no, Sampo. Uh, yeah, very similar thing. Uh, and suddenly greed takes over Frode's heart, and he says, I want you to make gold for me. Yes, yes, lots of gold. And you shall work all day and night. And he slaps chains on them. And they work and work and they are so tired. And uh, they they beg for, for rest. They, Please, we, we, need to, we need to get some sleep and we need to rest our muscles. We are so tired from making gold. But he says, no, no, I want more gold. You can only sleep as long as the cuckoo bird sleeps. Or goikurin as it's called. Which, you know, the, the bird only sleeps like, what, two, three, four hours a night. It's not because he's always very vigilant and watching out for predators. So they work and work and they are getting desperate. 
and they start singing a song and it's called Grottasöngur and it is the, the last Eddic poem. And they sing so beautifully that their song travels throughout the lands and their uncle, Misingur, hears it. And he comes on his massive, absolutely titanic ship, uh, long ship, of course, because Vikings, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and filled with, you know, trolls and Jutans and all that. And they, they land on Denmark's shores and absolutely decimate everything. They kill Frode and destroy the castle and all the people and everything. Um, and uh, when when Misingur comes up to Fenya and Menya, he sees that they're chained up and immediately recognizes the magic. And he says, instead of letting you go, I want you to make salt for me. And they're like, all right, here we go. Have to go back to making stuff. All right. So they work and work as, you know, even harder now. And they make so much salt, which of course was as valuable as gold at the time. And they fill his ridiculously huge longship all the way like they make a mountain of salt on top of it and Misigur is finally happy and he cuts the chains and lets them go and then he and his armies they go back into the ship and sail and as soon as they hit the waters it sinks and that is why the ocean is salty there you go <laughs> love it <laughs> i feel like this uh a lesson in there for for greedy politicians. Yeah, uh, don't salt the ocean. <laughs> yeah, don't salt the ocean. <laughs> maybe, maybe pepper the ocean a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I always love finding out new stories that explain the way that the the, the Norse. I guess the way that things are, why why they are the way they are. As in why the the sea is salty or why there is wind, and I find those stories really really interesting. I always find it peculiar with with them that uh, in most most religions, uh, like the sun and the moon, or maybe a, a, a male and a female, or brother and sister and whatnot. But in Norse mythology, the sun and the moon and day and night are different entities, so they're not connected. Which is kind of strange. So there's four things going on at the same time instead of two. Yeah, that is a that's a good point, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's something that I never I never realized. Um, is there any reason why that might be, or is it just it is it is what it is? Uh, well, the sun and the moon are being chased by wolves, uh, and the sun and the moon are being dragged by uh, people on on carriages, and uh, the, the day and night are also on carriages and they are going around for a different reason, which I can't recall right now. It's, it's, it's all very, very strange. I think, I think actually, if I can uh, nerd out on that uh, for, for a second, I think it's because uh, Snurri, uh, who's primarily responsible for recording the different stories, right? He's, he's, um, he knows different traditions, whether it's, you know, several myths that existed in Iceland or, or in Norway or, or elsewhere in Scandinavia. It seems to be combining multiple stories. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so that's also a little cool aspect of, of, of him as, as somebody who records Nordic mythology in the 13th century. 
we can definitely see that he has access to some material that we can't really verify from elsewhere, but we can see that it was like original. <laughs> like the story of uh, fishing for the uh, Midgard serpent is a great example. He's he's the only one who records the, the, the feature where the foot goes through the boat. Like Thor is like pulling so hard to, to bring the serpent up and then the foot goes his foot goes through the boats because he's pulling so hard and this the skaldic poems don't have it the edic poem doesn't have it um but it is on like picture stones and rune stones from like you know the 800s in in Scandinavia from the from the 800s to the thousands so that's pretty cool um yeah is is there a chance that things like that happen purely down to because it is an oral tradition and people you know based on the different regions will remember it differently or add their own little bit to it to make it their own story so that's why we get these sort of such different sort of different takes on the same story absolutely yeah yeah it's it's definitely because of like different oral traditions existing at the same time in different places maybe even in the same place sometimes Perfect. I mean, Sigurd, one one thing I assume people will have really enjoyed listening to, listening to the story. Where would you recommend that people, the best sort of literature or places to learn learn about this? I assume you've read tons and tons of books, so you can hopefully advise on kind of the best ones that are going to be to the point. Uh I honestly can't <laughs> because. <laughs> The material I've read is exclusively in Icelandic, and I don't. So maybe our friend here can probably recommend something uh, to English readers or different language readers. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you can always. Um, uh, so, for instance, Jackson Crawford's uh, uh, translations are, are are really good and accessible. Uh, English versions. His cowboy Halvamal is just awesome. Like he <laughs> basically composed uh, the first what is it, ninety stanzas of Halvamal in in sort of like the the, the voice of a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's pretty cool. Um, that's one uh, that I would uh, um, definitely recommend. But um, um, I mean, was it Neil Gaiman also? Good with uh, Snorretta. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, no game and, um, um, yeah, what else? What else is out there? I feel like there's plenty of stuff. If you just like, uh, you know, Google a little bit, you, you can find good, uh, popular versions of, of, of the material. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of hard. Like when people are asking me, like, uh, do you know any good hotels in Reykjavik? Like, I don't, I don't use hotels in Reykjavik. I live here. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can't really recommend books in in English because I read them in Icelandic. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I was just about to ask, and I'm not sure now. You said that whether you'll be able to answer is how well are they translated when when they translate to English? Are they pretty much the same, or does it lose some of its? Is meaning when when translated over? Uh, so I've I mean I've read plenty of different uh, translations, and I would say none of them really capture when it comes to poetic. Uh, so when you're trying to make it sound like a poem, you just 
you get only the gist of it. So I would recommend finding a book that has uh, just, you know, the poem in Icelandic and then a literal translation. It's not going to make too much sense in a poetic justice to, in, in English, it's just going to be words that don't rhyme and all that. But I, I would recommend reading that if you really want to know what the exact words mean in the poems. And they usually have like scholarly explanations next to them. But I don't really know how to find these books because, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> so if you if you search for for literal translations of, yeah, I I agree. Um, and another problem with the English translations is usually also that uh, for some reason they they feel like they need to use this weird archaic language, you know, <laughs> even like you know very contemporary uh, in uh, translations they they choose to use like archaic words that. Nobody would say in modern English, you know, <laughs> and that's that just makes it weird. <laughs> so, so really, the best way to learn it is just to learn Icelandic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you it'd probably be quicker. <laughs> I, I mean, Icelandic is very easy. I learned it when I was like three years old. It's, it's not hard. <laughs> no, it is a very difficult language. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually as I mean I, I'm not good at Icelandic but I I can speak some and understand some. And I, I'd say you know it's not the the hardest language in the world. Um people people make it out to be a... No, definitely not. But it's it's definitely what kind of like if you're coming from a Latin background it's going to be way harder than a Germanic background. Uh and depending on just how good are you at absorbing language, like I know people who have lived here for 40 years and they're still struggling. And my friend who's lived here for two and you can barely tell that he's a foreigner. So it's just, you know. Yeah, no, it's people have also, you know, different abilities to absorb languages. And yeah, so that's definitely part of it, too. Yeah, I think I was just unfortunately brought up with that that English kind of attitude of everyone should speak English and, and that's kind of how it goes through school and we it's really unfortunate because I wish that I'd, I'd listened more in school to to learn another language and I wish it was it was taught to us earlier in school and it was, it was more of a thing that people took seriously because again with, with the language lessons they were always kind of a, a, a make take lesson you would just mess about and and people, it wasn't just taken as seriously as other other things, and unfortunately, that's kind of how I guess the English look at languages. We very rarely go abroad and and learn the language. I guess we kind of just expect that everywhere in Europe should speak English. I would be pretty handicapped if I went to a Slavic country and no one spoke English. I don't know what to do. Like, so it is. Yeah, you kind of expect people to know English by now. <laughs> There's something to be said for that, of course. But on the other hand, I'd also say, you know, it's I, I'd like to always, that's like a, a, a little sort of my pet peeve, to downplay the the, the, the hardships of learning foreign languages. Um, because I don't, and it's not because it can't, it's not because it's not going to be difficult, but I also want people to think differently about learning foreign languages. Because there's a whole universe of understanding and meaning and knowledge that you get from being able to speak a language and, and understand a language that is, you know, fundamentally different from your own. Like that's, for instance, the case with, you know, Icelandic and and uh, understanding the myths in 
in the old Icelandic language, right? Um, having access to that is different from the um, translations. I find it so amazing just hearing the both of you when you say things in Icelandic or in Danish. And I, I can't know, the, the listeners can't hear or can't see this, but I always get like this big smile on my face and I'm just kind of mesmerized. I'm like, how on earth is that coming out of your mouth? Like to me, it's just so, so foreign, especially with Icelandic because it is so different to English. I just kind of, looking in awe almost like what how's that even a, how's that even a thing <laughs> uh can can we ask you to say uh <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to say it yes <laughs> yeah, that's that's how the the danish r sounds it's like yes. back of the throat <laughs> and the, Ic- the icelandic <laughs> is rappabarakrotur uh i do i do get people often sending me messages like strangers like uh like i appreciate that people are trying to learn and like how do you how do you say this and what does this mean and how do you do this in runes and all that i'm like again i appreciate that you're learning but i'm not your teacher and i don't feel like answering all the time like i i don't know do i sound like a jerk if i'm like i don't really feel like doing that it's not i don't even i don't even know how to teach anything. I mean, ultimately, you're going to... I, I'm sure you get a lot of those people asking you these things. I mean, I, I do too. Uh, you can't... You can't. Ultimately, you can't answer everybody. <laughs> like you, you can spend your entire life just doing that then. <laughs> yeah, well, it's usually... If I, if I answer that one question, like, if, like, how do you say this? And then I answer, then they just lay it on me. But how about this? How about this? How, like, so I just try not to reply. So... I'm sorry if you're sending me a message about stuff. I probably won't reply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think especially with things like that, it also comes down to people are quite lazy as well. I think the with some people, they they might ask you things that they could find themselves, but they just think it's going to be easier and quicker to say, "How do you do this?" and then you just re- reply and tell them rather than them actually spend the time to research it, look, and try and f- try and answer it themselves. People just want that quick answer straight away. Yeah, there's something about that. <laughs> yeah, you see it you see it a lot on on Facebook. I'm unashamed of part of like some of the some of the Facebook groups and you see people oh they're they're constantly asking for can you put this into runes for a tattoo? How do you say this? I want this tattooed on me and it's kind of like, well, you know, you just, you probably could, if you spend the time to learn and to read some books, you would probably be able to do it yourself. If you, if you're going to go down the route of having it tattooed on you, then at least read a book and try and get some understanding before just asking random people who may just tell you something that that's not true. It, and, and doing stuff in runes, it's not just like, can you put this in runes? So... Do you want elder or younger Futhark? Do you want the younger Futhark? Which period? Do you want it from Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland? Do you want it this century or this century? And do you want it written phonetically or literally? Because usually runes were written phonetically because they didn't really have a grammar system. So it's like it's a huge question of of doing things in runes. You just like, yeah, do this in runes. Like, okay, find a translator online. <laughs> I don't, don't want to be bothered. <laughs> Yeah, I know you you said before that that's something that you've done a lot of research about that you you know, you've got a deep understanding of the runes. And 
I think if you're if you're happy, then we'd love to have you back on at a later date and and speak about that because I think that's the runes is definitely the thing that we get asked the most about. It's something that I think people's automatically want to know about. Yeah, people people often don't really like the truth about runes. They they want to they want it to be the Viking thing invented by Odin, but really they're they're not from not even from Scandinavia. So like I'm I'm sorry, <laughs> but people don't really they don't really appreciate that when you tell them that they are not Scandinavian. I mean the the the, the question is where where they come from. Um, the most likely scenario is sort of you know northern Germanic people somewhere in northern Germany. Uh, oh, you can dig dig way further back than that. If if you go all the way to the Avon runes, then you would say seven thousand five hundred before Christ in Portugal would be the absolute origin of the runes. But they they look nothing like the current runes. But the Elder Futhark would be from somewhere in Greece, about three hundred before Christ, and invented by Romans. So I'm sorry, they were not by uh, Bro Odin Valhalla <laughs> people. <laughs> Uh, but I uh, hate to burst your bubble there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think we're, we're well over an hour now. So I think to start getting into, into runes now at this stage, we'll be here. We'll save it for night. next time. <laughs> so I think that's it. Yeah, by all, we, we'd love to have you back on. See, I know you've got some solo material coming up in the future that we'd love to have you on just before you release that. Hopefully get some eyes eyes on that and get you some attention yeah attention when that when that comes live um i don't know if you want to just tell people how they can find you you kind of just like your instagram or where your music is so people can can get hold of it i'm sure people are going to want to listen to to your music after listening to this uh you can type my name both into instagram and spotify you don't have to do the weird d just use a regular d so say you go d and uh you'll find my music on, on spotify and uh but uh, on Spotify, I'm linked to other artists because all my music on Spotify is what I've done with other people uh, like Dunhaim and Hiltom and so on. Uh, and yeah, I have a my Instagram account is also my name. I, I post like horns and I'm just getting into tattoos now. My fiance is teaching me hand poke tattoos. And I do lots of arts and music and crafts on my Instagram. And uh, to, uh, I'm actually, I don't know how when this podcast comes out, but tomorrow I'm doing a a live show on like Instagram live because of the quarantine. So I'm just going to be playing music live on my phone to whoever wants to watch. <laughs> so yeah, I'm always up to That's something. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We, we shared that earlier, so I'm not sure whether this will be out in time, but it would be really cool for, for people to tune into and to watch that. So yeah, I think we should just wrap this up. It's been fun. Hopefully, People uh, have enjoyed it, and like I said, we'll we'll do it again. And I mean, this is the first time that we've tried having a guest on. It's the first time we've we've done it. You are officially the first guest of the podcast. So, oh, <laughs> I feel so honored. That's it. I think it's something that we will get better at as we as we do it more, and kind of get the dynamic of having that third person there. Yeah. No. I, I want to really thank you, uh, Sirobody, for joining us here. It was really fun talking with you and hearing, you know, all the things that you have to tell about how you work with this material and, you know, how knowledgeable you are as well. So thank you so much. Uh-huh. 
Well, thank you for having me. It's it's been really nice. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And I think people hopefully will have some questions for for the next time you come on. After listening to this, they will have their own questions they want to know about about what you do. Um, I know, like yeah, definitely. Like I said you're working on your own solo music, which will be really interesting to to see when that comes out. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.